Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, welcome back. So today I have someone on the podcast that I was really excited about. Um, Grant Wyeth is a Melbourne and occasionally Sweden-based writer. He is currently a columnist for the Asia-Pacific Affairs publication, The Diplomat. Uh, He's an editor at Asia-Pacific Development, Diplomacy, and Defense Dialogue, and he writes the Substack newsletter, International Blue. Um, So, Grant's work primarily focuses on the issues of foreign affairs, writing for these incredibly esteemed publications. But over the last few years, he has taken a serious interest in the behavior of family courts. And he's written extensively on these issues. And he's also spoken uh, at a number of public forums on it. And so he wrote this incredible substack. And I wrote to him and said, uh, <laughs> can you please be on my podcast? This was, he had written about parental alienation and the family court system. And I said, and I just wrote to him, total cold call. And I was like, hi, I very much need you to be on my podcast. And from vacation in Sweden, he took an hour out of his uh, time and he came onto the podcast. He was just incredibly generous with his time. And I'm so grateful to bring you this conversation with Grant Wyeth. Grant, thank you so much for being here. I am so incredibly grateful that you took the time. Thank you for reaching out and inviting me to be on the on the show. Yeah. So first of all, let's start with this is not your this is not your area of of expertise normally. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be sort of studying this um, issue so in depth. Yeah. So so my professional background is in international relations or foreign affairs. So I I I write for a publication called The Diplomat, which is an Asia Pacific affairs publication. Um, I work for an organization at the moment which has a terrible mouthful of a name called. Asia Pacific Development Diplomacy and Defense Dialogue. Oh dear. Um, oh dear. <laughs> AP4D short. Um and so that's much better. That's much better branding. Much better branding. Yeah. So and we write reports on kind of Australians Australia's foreign policy especially in in Southeast Asia and, and the Pacific Islands. Mm-hmm. So this is this is my professional background. It's in foreign affairs. Um but I've come to I've come to this issue, um, I guess, in a in a personal way, because my partner. So I'm currently here in Sweden uh, with my partner. Um, my partner actually uh, works for an organisation. She has a she has a organisation in Iceland where she lives, where she's lived most of her adult life, um, that helps women 
and children navigate family court systems. Oh, wonderful. So, okay. So she's converted me, basically. She's 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 been the one that says you need to look at this and you need to find a way of understanding this and see whether you can use your skills as a writer to kind of explain this. So so the impetus comes from her. Um so that's my background. And so I guess for the last few years, maybe three years, I've been I've been studying this phenomenon of how family court systems have become so, I guess we can say, corrupted mm-hmm. um, and why they are producing the outcomes that are, I guess, the opposite of what we would expect them to produce. Um, so I think most people who don't have an understanding of or haven't had contact with family court systems, they would assume that abuse is treated as abuse, like physical abuse, sexual abuse is treated as abuse, but this is not the case at all. And it's it's nuts. It's, I love, you know, you do say in your, so, you know, in your, in your article that you wrote about this, you do say that like any normal person sort of reading about this would think this was absolutely absurd. Like, right. Like it makes no sense. It makes no sense. And I think the system hides behind the absurdity. That's like a, it's, it's an incredible smokescreen for them because, because the general public wouldn't believe it if you told it to them. Um, and so that allows these court systems to get away with their behavior. Yeah. It's, it's incredible how many people sort of, you know, when they're, sh- and, and this is sort of the double abuse of it, right? The re-traumatization is that when you tell anyone outside of the system, what the system is doing to you, their response is often like, well, I mean, do you have a lawyer <laughs> or like, yeah. well, wait a minute, like that doesn't make any sense. Like surely they would. And and then you have to go into this explanation that's too exhausting and re-traumatizing because none of that does make sense. Yeah. And also the other the other common reaction that I've found is that, oh, well, there must be more to the story. There must be more to the story. And usually it's it's, you know, the the mother or the the woman there must be something suspicious about her that's that's she's, the, that's, she's got to be crazy right yeah, exactly she must be crazy yeah. she must have done something abusive there's got to be there's got to be some reason for this because the explanation that the system that it's the system doesn't make sense yeah doesn't make sense yeah so recently um there's been kind of a somewhat large development um where um the office of the united nations high commissioner for human rights um issued a global call as you said i'm, I'm quoting from your article a global call for input into child custody cases and violence against women and children this is kind of a big deal it's a big deal and the report that was was created out of this this input was just released a few weeks ago right right exactly and so, so that was that's I guess an incredibly positive initiative, but it's all, I guess, you know, the 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 UN doesn't have the ability to force these things. It's more just about bringing attention to them. That the hope is that now countries start to pay attention to what the UN is saying. Now that's that's kind of where we're at. It's sort of interesting. It's almost like as you say that, what I see is almost like Caden's law in the Violence Against Women's Act. Well, okay, we put it in in VAWA, but it doesn't mean anything until each individual state enacts yeah. a law that prevents yeah. this. Yeah. Right? So it's more it's, you know, Caden's law, I guess, is more, you know, it's positive. It's very positive, but it's more encouraging the states in the United States to to actually 
I do guess, something. Yeah, do something. <laughs> understand what's going on, and and you know, and then it's up to them. You know, unfortunately, I mean, this is Australia, also a federal s- system, so um, it's up to states whether they they enact these reforms. Although I right. should say, yeah, the family court is 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 a federal court, so so it's not individual states, but in general, Australia mm-hmm. works in way to the United yeah. States, the federal system. So I was just sort of. It just seems like the UN report feels like the macro version of like these smaller, right? Like we still have, so even then, right? It's like, okay, the UN may say we need to, this is an issue we need to deal with. You know, the Violence Against Women's Act says this is a, this is something that the states have to deal with. Then the states will enact the laws, but still the family courts actually have to comply, right? They're so, it's like they're, you start with this umbrella and then we have to get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Yeah. And also, as we've seen, I guess, as I've seen over the last few years, the the family courts are very good at working their way around legislation as well. You know, they have an idea about what they want to produce and they'll interpret an idea like the best interest of the child in the way that they want to interpret it, not in the way that, I guess, common sense would interpret the best interest of the child. Right. Yep. We sort of go back a little bit. So how do you see this? Like, why does this matter on a global scale? Well, on a global scale, because it is, it's such a common thing in, in any country you look at now at the moment. It's, you know, so even something, you know, Iceland always comes up top of the best place in the world to be a woman, but this still happens. You still have these justice systems that are incredibly hostile to women and children in Iceland. Mm. Um but so in my home country of Australia, in the United States, obviously Canada, the UK, France, it's it's happening all around. So so it is a global phenomenon, and it's a and it's mm-hmm. a phenomenon of, I guess, what we can call institutional capture. It's it's a global institutional capture by what makes it really extraordinary is a concept that has no professional credibility. This is parental alienation. But yeah. has managed to work its way into the into these systems and become the dominant lens of how these systems operate. Right. One of the things that you say, you, you sort of say in this, it's it's a it's a political and international uh, of of political and international importance for two reasons, right? And I the first one I love, right? How societies treat women and children is a true reflection of their social health. Yeah, we're fucked. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I mean, in a word, right? Like, oh God. I mean, that's I, I remember that's a that's a comment Michelle Obama made a few years ago as well, and I, I think it's 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 incredibly true. I mean, you know, this is this reflects the social health, and if you look, especially if you're looking, I guess, from my background in 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 developing countries and whatnot, you know, you can tie uh, what you could call, I guess, human flourishing to countries that treat women and children with respect and dignity and countries that don't obviously if we look at somewhere like afghanistan at the moment that has an absolute hostility to women uh, they they're also an incredibly poor and, and and backwards country right right yes and the two things are correlated they are yeah they are they are and then you know the second one that you say which i think is really uh also wonderful is that um, one of the central pillars of our current political instability is men's inability to emotionally cope with the advancement of women. Hello. Yeah. 
Um, can you can you t- sort of say more about that and why? Well, I think in the last few decades, we've seen this real acceleration of of female education globally, and we've seen once women are free to be able to gain degrees and 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 make economic choices and make career choices for themselves, they're they're very much just accelerating past men. And men are finding it incredibly emotionally difficult to to deal with this, I think. And so if you look at a lot of your authoritarian movements, a lot of your populist movements, they're driven a lot by this male resentment. Um, and something in in, you know, something that was pointed out in the United States with a lot of um the activity around January 6, a lot of the people who were involved in January 6 had had con- or had um I wouldn't say convictions, but had histories of 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 domestic violence. Domestic violence. You know, yep. There's a connection right. there between like household instability and political instability. That's that's the connection. And and they they work in tandem with each other. And all mass shooters, almost all mass shooters have Absolutely. a history of domestic violence. I mean, it is, it is so, it is so correlated. Um, okay, so let's we we sort of touched on parental alienation. So let's let's jump to Gardner. Um, explain the history of this. Cause I think, you know, I think a lot of people don't quite understand, you know, they, and, and you know, I will say that I was one of them, you know, it's, it took me a couple of years. I'm like, well, but, but, but it is alienation. Like if someone is turning, if the other parent is turning the child against them, like they are alienating them. And it took a long time for me to, to recognize like, oh no, 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 that's just another form of domestic violence, right? That's mm-hmm. not alienation. That's, violence. And so let's start with Gardner and how this how this sort of began and then how it was able to weave itself into the family law system. Yes, yeah, so in the early 1980s Richard Gardner who was a a, a child psychiatrist, he he often gets credited as being affiliated to Columbia University in the um, but he was only a volunteer there. He wasn't a member of staff there. So um, he doesn't have the- I don't the think prof- I knew that. Yeah, he doesn't <laughs> have the credibility that um, is often he's often uh, labelled with. So he invented this concept called parental alienation syndrome, which was basically he felt that men were being unfairly accused of child sexual abuse, and he wanted to find a way of- of making sure that men didn't suffer any consequences for child sexual abuse. So he created this idea of parental alienation syndrome that said when mothers accuse fathers of child sexual abuse, what they're really doing is brainwashing their children to hate their fathers. And that's what's actually going on. Um, and this, it, it like, in terms of the the scientific background of, of of the way he laid out his arguments and whatnot, it had no professional credibility. You know, the the American Association of of Psychologists has has never uh, accepted this, um, and but it gained it gained legal credibility because it became this tool that men could use inside family courts. And so the the economic incentives in family courts are always designed to find a way. the the demand The demand in family courts is men not wishing to face consequences for their behaviour, whether mm-hmm. that's violence, 
whether that's domestic violence. So servicing that demand has become the economic framework of, of family courts. So parental alienation syndrome and then parental alienation um, was able to, 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 to latch on to that economic incentive, to latch on to that economic incentive and and really just be able to to work its way through the courts and and we see this with with you know lawyers who specialize now in parental alienation therapists who specialize in parental alienation your reunification camps which are 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 actually a form of brainwashing but pretend to be deprogramming children oh and the abuse i mean the the abuse um in with the reunification camps, uh, you know, if anyone uh, is interested in learning a little bit more about how that functions, uh, if you uh, following uh, the story of Maya and Sebastian out of Santa Cruz, and um, you know, Maya, God lover, was smart enough to have people on on standby as she was ripped from her father. In this case, her mother is the abuser, um, ripped from her father's home, literally. Um, screaming and was violently abused by the extraction team that came to get her and her and her uh, brother. I mean, it's a horrible story. Um, yeah. so I should say, th- yeah, I, I should say uh, just a caveat there. I've been talking, I guess, this about men. I would say yes. most cases this is abusive males, but there are cases of of abusive mothers as well. Yes. Um, it, the statistics are <laughs> that it's mostly men, yeah. but it is not always. We know that. Right. Um, and, and one of the things about um, Gardner that I think is is worth noting, he not only was discrediting um, children's claims of sexual abuse, but he also said that it was somehow natural. Right, that these that it's not really abuse because it's sort of an it, it child. I mean, it's so absurd, right? That it was that it's somehow natural. Yeah, he said that there was a you know. I mean, he was trying to cl- claim that there was a species survival mechanism here. That you know that that in order for the species to survive, you know, men need to find ways of procreating, and if that's with children, then it's with children. I mean, that was his his argument, and. Well, um, not only that, but that the children were su- actually seducing the fathers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really extraordinary stuff. Like, and just yeah. and quite sick, really. But um, unfortunately, you know, and for a man with such views to be to have to gain such a foothold in in family court systems is really is really obscene. I think. Absolutely, absolutely, and it can, and it just continues. I mean, this started in the eighties, right? And we are still dealing with the consequences of it. And, you know, you say that like the genius of, of all of this is that the more the mother or a child accuses or in- insists that the abuse is happening, the more evidence of yeah. alienation, right? Yeah. So it's this, it's, it's like, what is it? The, the Chinese finger thing where like yeah, the more you pull, the more you pull and the more you strain against it, the tighter the grip, right? Yeah. That creates this system in in family courts where love is punished. The more you try to demonstrate your love to your child, the more suspicion the court has of you. So it, it's a trap. It's it's completely a trap. Absolutely, and it's it's classic Darvo, right? It's we're gonna no no, no I am we're not we're gonna deny attack. I'm not the 
I'm not the, you know, the problem, you're the problem. And in fact, I'm the victim, right? Mm -hmm. And this is where father's rights groups get their foothold. Like, oh no, we're all being victimized by being accused of these things. Yeah. And I think, you know, trying to understand the psychology of this, this victimhood um, mentality is that a lot of these men believe that they have this natural right, you know, natural right to dominate their families and a natural right to violence in in a lot of stages, a, a yes. lot of cases, I should say. And yep. that especially that violence is an essential component of masculinity. And if you are trying to prevent male violence, well, you're actually persecuting men because because violence is essential to what to what men are. Yes. Uh, this yes. is this is and and you know it's so so when you when you come across this and and it's such a unfortunately it's uh, it's prevalent in the culture where you have people like Andrew Tate who've become you know these huge online online celebrities and teenage boys are really aligning themselves Tate. this idea of male dominance and male male violence is 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 incredibly mainstream this idea that that men have the right to dominate that men have the right to dominate in this way and that anyone who accuses them or says that it's bad, right, is a liar, is or doesn't understand men, or we're somehow we're somehow oppressing them. Or they're jealous. They're jealous. Oh, we're just oh, jealous. Oh, yeah. They're just jealous of our power. Mm-hmm. You also say that, you know, parental alienation is is built around two core tenets, one of which is that women are liars. Yeah, right. Just default setting women are liars. Yeah. Women are liars. And then and then the second being that contact with a father is more important than protection from abuse. Yeah. Yeah. And so once a court a court, you know, digests that idea and 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 has that idea that that contact is is the most important thing. There's really nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do to convince a court that your child is actually in danger because the court thinks, well, even if he is violent and abusive, it's still more detrimental to a child to not have contact with him. And we've seen, you know, I mean, we've seen, especially in the US, we've seen this 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 leads to to the murder of children. It's leading That's to right. the murder. Right. Yeah. Let's, I mean, let's talk about that because we touched on Caden's law. So if you want to take that and sort of, and talk about what Caden's law is and what it's, and what it's based on. So yeah, Caden's law was, was, was developed out of, out of the, the, the murder of, 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 of one of these children. Yeah. And it, it was designed to kind of, I guess, give judges, I guess, more, more training and more understanding of of the mechanics of domestic violence and the and the mechanics of 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 child abuse, um, because I I think a lot of these family court judges just don't have the background in 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 these issues and they don't really understand, yeah, the dynamics, I, I, the the yeah. mechanics and the dynamics of 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 household abuse. They are not required to have any training in domestic violence. They are consistently ruling making rulings about it they're hearing it but they have zero training in recognizing any of the signs of it which is horrifying i mean it's absolutely horrifying 
It's absolutely hope for. And, and I think there's still as well judges who hold these kind of, you know, outdated ideas about, you know, well, the man is the head of the household and, you know, he, you know, what he says goes. And so if you're, if you're resisting that, then you're the, you're the problem, you know? Yeah, that's right. Caden was a little girl who was seven or eight years old, right? Um, who was, uh, she was seven and she was murdered by her biological father after the, her mother had been begging the courts not to, not to, um, have, you know, contact, but like, please don't, don't send my daughter into this violent man's home. And, um, I, I think from what I understand, the, <laughs> The theory was like, well, he just abused you. He doesn't have a history of abusing Caden. So like, right, not, and again, and again, this this absolutely points to the fact that judges don't understand how domestic violence works. The next, if you can no longer control me directly and you can no longer ad- directly abuse me, you're going to do the next thing that's closest to me. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And what is what is the worst thing you can do to a mother? Yeah. Hurt her, her, her child. And, and so the other, she did. Yeah. The other component of that is that, as you mentioned, that judges only see the problem as being between the two partners or two former partners. Mm-hmm. And they don't really understand that even if a child isn't hit itself, being witness to domestic abuse is is a form of domestic abuse you know that's it, right it, it's child abuse it's, it's child chi- abuse. it is it is child abuse to witness domestic violence yeah and because you know that the the psychological damage this does to children that the the sense of living in a household of fear constantly this you know it's it hampers their development it, it you know it leaves these permanent permanent scars you know i don't think judges quite understand that yet they just think oh well the the the, the two partners are broken up now, so the problem's solved. But that's not the case at all. And and so often I see this too, is that, you know, this label high conflict. Oh, this is a high conflict case. If only one person is being high conflict and the other person is being protective, that's not a high conflict case. That is a domestic abuse case. Yeah. yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, the term high conflict <laughs> implies that both parties are are to blame right and then they send them into like mediation right they're sort of forced mediation where and a a victim is forced to sit down and try to try to negotiate terms with somebody for whom negotiation is another form another tactic of abuse and with someone who is actually drawn to conflict as a right the victim is saying please let's just end this let's end this mm-hmm. while the you know the abuser is perpetuating it and reveling in it that's something that came out of the the UN report as well is for courts to understand that they're being used as a weapon or courts or, or mediation or social services or 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 reunification camps all these all these institutions are being used as a weapon and it it's what abuses it's the perspective abuses is that you know i'm going to use the institutions that are meant to protect you against you mm-hmm. it's a way of capturing these institutions and using them 
you know, right. and especially, a, you know, especially a lot of financial abuse that goes on as well. Like if you can constantly drag your partner into the courts and you know that they can't afford to be in the courts, you know, that's another weapon that you have. And now for a quick word from our sponsor. The all-new, fully revised Should I Stay or Should I Go? After three years of this program existing in the world and changing women's lives, I decided to give it a full makeover. The all-new version has all-new videos, a podcast-like audio stream if you want to take the work on the go, and completely updated resources for deepening your learning. The program consists of six core modules, the first of which is Who Are You? This is the section in which you dig deeply into your own personal development and get in touch with your inner guide, slay your inner critics, mine for values, and learn how to set healthy boundaries. The second module is how you learn to love and helps you understand your attachment style, love languages, and how to properly love and care for the most important person in all of this, yourself. Module three is called, Why Are Women So Exhausted?, and breaks down some of the issues around toxic masculinity and male entitlement, the myth of being a stay-at-home mom, and answers the question, he's fine. Why can't I just be happy? Module four is all about understanding abuse and includes videos on trauma bonds, understanding the cycles of abuse, particularly how they play out in your own relationship, and addresses addiction, infidelity, and mental illness. Module 5 is all about healing and moving forward and includes videos about therapy, couples therapy, healing from betrayal, emotional regulation, and grief. This section also includes my 90-minute workshop, Tackling Codependence, as well as my signature relationship inventory that will help you gain complete clarity on all the parts of your marriage and figure out what's his and what's yours. And module six answers the question, is the grass really greener on the other side? With in-depth videos on dating, cultural and religious isolation, and what happens if you end up alone forever? Spoiler, you probably won't. Whether you decide to stay or go, this program will set you up for a lifetime of clarity and fulfillment. And if you've already decided to go, the program will help you unpack all that's happened and help you heal so that you can move forward without repeating the same mistakes that got you here in the first place. This program is priced super low at just $697. And if you use the code PODCAST, when you check out, you'll get $50 off the full price. What are you waiting for? You have been agonizing with this decision for long enough. It's time to finally know, should you stay or should you go? And now back to our episode. All of this I want to point out, right, is really bringing to mind the Johnny Depp Amber Heard uh, case, right, where you had one person who was, you know, perpetuating the legal uh, systems and the the um, you know the filings and really reveling in the you know the the drama of it all. Um, and then you have Amber Heard, who was just, you know, head down, trying to get through it, trying to live her life, you know, well, and, and it, it, it was such to me, a horrifying moment when even 
you know, feminists, even people that like nobody could wrap their brains around the fact that Johnny Depp mm. was a was an abuser, despite all the evidence, right? Yeah. I was going to say, and that was also it was designed to humiliate her. It was about right. publicly and globally humiliating her. And I guess we can make an extension from that is and to send a shot over the bow to all women as to say, you know, if you speak up, this is what happens to you. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. If you speak up, this is what happens to you. And also look how nobody believes you. Everybody hates you because you're not perfect. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And especially these incredibly powerful men who have like Johnny Depp, who have these huge audiences and you know and obviously you may have grown up and you've you've watched his movies and whatnot and so you have an emotional attachment to him and so he has this enormous power over large swathes of the of the population so he can do this you know and he yeah. can get to, to believe him over all the evidence that's right that's right over all the evidence i, I mean astonishing you know and i grew up with johnny depp i mean i'm i'm of the generation where I grew up on 21 Jump Street. Like I was a teenager and he was like, you know, posters of him on my on my wall as a teen. Like it was very hard for me to reconcile this. But being a victim's advocate and being a domestic violence expert and advocate in wall that I do, I was like, holy shit, right? You can see it. Yeah. You know, one of the things that <laughs> it's not back to the, you know, contact with the father at all costs, right? Like it's more important than protecting from abuse. Not only is that the most important thing, but it's also women's job and the mother's job, right? To facilitate that contact, right? Yeah. Men are not, they're not out here uh abusers abusive men are not out there fostering their own relationships with their children right but then if they don't have a relationship with their children it's our fault and we must facilitate that yeah and and this this expectation of women it it places women in this this incredibly difficult position because you know every cell in a mother's body is is to to protect her child and if mm -hmm. there's a danger that she knows is a known danger and you're being told that, no, you your job is to actually facilitate the relationship with this known danger, you know, it's it's the, the mental stress of that is beyond just the child abuse, but the mental stress on the mother is 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 extraordinary. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the more you protect the more likely you are to actually lose custody as was proven um with um i don't even know is it meyer or meyer i don't know i've heard both um joan meyer of uh george washington university law school in her study right that showed found that it, i mean it found many things <laughs> many horrifying statistics but um can you explain what was uh, oh, what came I, out of that I don't study? Have the actual statistics on hand, but the the statistics were 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 quite extraordinary in terms of she, you know, breaking down in terms of um, when a mother, um, uh, like, brings evidence of domestic abuse, and what are the, what are the rates of 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 um, a mother losing uh, custody? And it found that, especially with child sexual abuse, this was 
was more likely to 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 for mothers to to lose custody on with child sex abuse. There's something within the, these legal systems that just don't want to know about child sexual abuse that they can't they can't get their get their brains around it. Right, right, and sh- and that when fathers are accused of child abuse, um, and then a counterclaim of parental alienation is made, it doubles the mother's likelihood of losing custody. That that's the that was the main statistic. I'm I'm just I'm just bringing them up again now. Sorry. I know there. Uh, I was I was about to do that too. <laughs> you, if you you've got them. You got them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I mean that's that's extraordinary. You know, it's because it goes. I, I think goes back to what we were saying at the start that you know if if the general public were aware of this, you know, and there's so many mothers that I've been in contact with over the last few years who are working tirelessly to bring this out into the public. So the general public are aware of this. But, you know, if it was known, if there were, you know, if it was on the front page of papers, as it should be, you know, um, I, I don't think that these courts would be able to get away with this. I mean, they 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 operate in a, in a certain secrecy that allows them to to produce these results. Yep. Um, you know, one of the things I just wanted to, you know, and that's what Caden's law really seeks to do. And again, Caden's law is simply uh, was put into the Violence Against Women's Act, which doesn't make it the law of the land. All it does is it provides financial incentives for each state to enact the laws um, in e- in their state. But it doesn't it doesn't actually create a law, but, you know, it has there are four points that Caden's law provides that if each state were to take it up would be the law of those states. Right. So can you do you have those on hand Um, with those four? I can I can I have them, but got a little Caden's law briefer here. I'll I'll pull it up. so the four points are the first restricting expert testimony to only those who are appropriately qualified to provide it. So this is a big problem in family big. courts at the moment, um, where you know these parental alienation experts, as they call themselves, you know, who have no no professional credibility or no professional uh, um, degrees or whatnot, but they are able to come into courts and and uh, and give evidence. Um, so trying to to stem the flow of these people within courts, that's the first point. Limiting the use of re- reunification camps and therapies, as we've we've talked um before. I mean, these are really, you know, these are really brainwashing institutions that that take Yeah, let's let's I want to like what is a reunification camp? Can we can you talk about that briefly? When a court decides that a child is exhibiting the, the the symptoms of parental alienation, courts will say, well, we'll send you to a reunification camp so you are deprogrammed your attachment to your mother and reprogrammed to have an attachment to your father, or you know the other way around if if the mother is is the uh, is the abuser. But so so it's really about these camps that are really about trying to reestablish a relationship with an abusive a parent an abusive parent. Um, against all the instincts of these children. I mean, a lot of these children are, are quite young, and so they operate on they operate on instinct. 
and if they're scared of a parent, well, they're scared of a parent and they can't be put into, into situations where they're being forced and they're being told that their feelings are wrong. You know, the things that they know to be true about what they've, what they've experienced in their lives, you're told that you're actually wrong, you know, and if you're a five or six-year-old, how are you supposed to process this, you know, right. yep. when, when you've got supposedly an authority figure telling you that everything you think to be true is wrong, you know, so it's, it's, these are really, really harsh, it's, harsh measures. Yeah, it's in- institutional gaslighting. Yeah, is, absolutely. Right. Um, everything that you think and you believe and that your your reality is wrong. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Not to be trusted. So, okay. So, so the second point in um Caden's law is to limit the use of these uh yeah. reunification camps. Yeah. Um, and the third is third point is trying to to create more evidence-based training for judges and court appoint personnel, which is a smart move, as we talked about before, that a lot of these judges simply don't have backgrounds in in domestic violence. They're adjudicating on things that they have no understanding of. And it's obviously leading to, you know, just backwards outcomes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the last one. The last point is requiring that family courts making parenting parenting time decisions consider past evidence of abuse. So, I mean, it's it's extraordinary it's like, that this is, this even has to be. We have to legislate to this, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, because a lot of the time, you know, a lot of these people, you know, women might have restraining orders against their former partners. And family courts are saying, well, that's not really admissible evidence. And you're you're like, well, what, what are you talking about? I mean, this is. Yeah. There, you know, these two cases that I always come back to are the Depp Heard and um, Gabby Petito, right? And the traffic stop in Moab and that footage, right? Where, you know, again, this is, you know, the providing training for people to recognize the signs of domestic violence because all of the domestic violence advocates, people who knew what was, you know, what to look for in that traffic cam footage um, or the, the body cam footage, it was clear to us, right, that Brian Laundrie was just completely calm. And when he was, when they said to him, like, oh, you know, you're the victim of domestic violence, he laughed. Like, who fucking laughs when they're told that they're a victim, right? And she's out of control. She's hyperventilating, right? And again, if if there had been any training, right, and Hmm. cops can't be trained in everything, which is why, you know, we need different agencies to be responding to these things, right? But but again, this is why. This is why we need this training, because when you've got people like that right in front of a judge and there's there's clear evidence that anyone with training would recognize people's lives would be saved. I think what we've got is is a lag. You know, there's a legal lag in, you know, the values and, and the knowledge that we've obtained now as as societies and what the legal systems actually know, you know, legal systems right. are are trying to catch up to the to to a lot of these developments in social psychology and sociology and whatnot, but unfortunately, it is their job to keep themselves abreast of these these developments and, and these this new knowledge, and they're just not doing it. That's right. Well, yeah, and it's like, well, there's a lag, but like there shouldn't, like right there's there shouldn't be. This is not, it's not rocket science, actually. No. 
No. And I think that's when going back to to parental alienation, one of the things is that there's a lot of incentives in the system to to try and convince courts that something more complex is going on. So if you just say, if you just say, oh, well, you know, there's evidence of child abuse, there's evidence of domestic abuse, and anyone, you know, standing at the bus stop can see it with their with their their own two eyes. Well, that's actually too simple. You know that this is these ah. professionals. That's actually too simple. What's actually happening is something more complex is happening, and that gives them power within the system because they get to be the person who who owns the complexity, and they're the ones who can explain to judges that oh, well, this is more complex than just you know the obvious the obvious cases of abuse. You know, so so this is yeah. this is a kind of a phrase I've been using with a, regard to parental alienation is that. Um, it has no it's a concept that has no professional credibility but it has great professional incentives and that's the problem that is the problem and the incentives being all of these financial uh, these financial incentives be and, and how but how does the court benefit from these financial incentives right because you've got the reunification camps that cost by the way like 20 to 40,000 dollars how how is the how is the court how are the judges what benefits from it but i think there's just this this economic infrastructure around the court now that has i, w- I would say that has captured the court you know you just have all things like reunification camps things like you know lawyers who now specialize in alienation, therapists and and pa pa experts and whatnot there's this whole web of actors around courts now that that have these economic incentives and courts are Courts have become enmeshed in them. Courts have become captured by them. So it's it's very difficult for courts to kind of find their way out of of all these kind of professional and economic incentives incentives that surround them. Right, right. The fathers' rights movement and how right they have somehow, despite the evidence that family court is biased against women, they have somehow convinced. Yeah. the world that it's biased against them the name father's rights movement says it all really because what we should be talking about children have rights parents have responsibilities and that is that is the lens that we that we have so what these 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 fathers rights groups say well no fathers have rights it's it's a father's right because they have the household authority it's not it's not the right. father's responsibility or the father's privilege to raise a child it's the father's right to to control a child or control their their partner you know so you know the name says it all with these groups i mean it it demonstrates what their worldview is and but unfortunately they you know they have been able they've been very good at being convincing the world that they're the victims here and that these courts are are, are biased against men unbelievable so where do we go from here grant where do you see this going i mean we have we've had these rulings we've had a few um like i think in pennsylvania right the european court in italy there's been some movement um making rulings about this internationally certainly not really in the u.s uh i mean there, there are positive developments. So I think Caden's law is a positive development, but these are steps, unfortunately. You know, unfortunately, these courts are not going to change their behavior overnight. But mm-hmm. I think there is 
there is some movement. There's greater public recognition. So in Australia, um, just recently, there's been new legislation which kind of ends the idea of equal shared parental responsibility, which is this idea that both parents should be responsible for the child, which makes it incredibly difficult to protect a child from an abusive parent. Sure. Um, so, so that's a positive development in Australia. I think it's all going to come in steps. And unfortunately, you can create new laws, but then the way courts interpret laws is is another is another issue. You know, courts right. have quite a big way to interpret laws and and the culture of courts is difficult to change as well. So um I do think that there's there's a lot of positive movement and there are media outlets are starting to pay a bit more attention to this as well. It's going to be steps. And unfortunately for a lot of children and for a lot of mothers, the steps aren't going to be quick enough. I feel positive just because over the last few years, I've been in contact with an incredible group of of women and mothers who are working to change these systems. And mm-hmm. I think that they won't be defeated. Like they're too strong, they're too incredible, they're too, they're too on top of the issues, and they're too have this clear sight about what needs to change. And yeah. they have this moral authority to them. And I, I don't think that these women will be defeated. They will eventually win. It may take time, but I think that they will win. So who are these? Is this a group that you're involved so, yeah, with? Or there's, is this... there's, 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 probably, there's, a, there's a loose network of, of yeah. so there's academics, there's um, women who've been through family court systems as well, who now have made it their, their kind of primary task to help other women through. Yes. Um, Caitlin Jorgensen is one you is one that I love yeah. and and Tina Swithin and yeah, Tina Swithin, yeah. yeah yeah so uh Tina and there's there's another two women um another um American woman called Tracy Wallace and mm-hmm. um an Australian woman called Renee Lee they have a little organization called um movement of mothers who um who they kind of they're they're very active and they're they're very strong in terms of tracking down every kind of little piece of evidence and 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 every article and every little movement and, and collating it and, and kind of bringing it to public attention you know they do an incredible job i think that you know there, there are a lot of women and and this is international as well you know mm-hmm. so it needs uh, to be yeah. yeah and there are also i should say there are also um a number of men there's an academic in at the university of ottawa in canada um uh simone lapierre who's doing a lot of work in understanding parental alienation and how it has captured these these uh legal systems so it's not just women working on this issue there's there's a number of men as well who are who are doing incredible work yeah and so just in sort of final um you know this my audience women listening to this are, are going to be facing this or or are facing this are in the trenches with this what advice do you have for them? How do women, since we're not at the tipping point yet, I think I agree with you. I think we're we're approaching some form of tipping point. Um, I think the Catherine Kasanoff case definitely brought a lot more attention, right? We have to be talking about this more and more. Um, but what what do you say to women who, you know, like you said, we're not there yet. And a lot more women and children are going to be suffering, but like, oh my God, (laughs) right. For the women who are in it now, how can they approach the court system armed 
with enough evidence and information, what do they need to do? Yeah, I mean, that's a tough one. This is something that I haven't been working on myself, but I know that Tina that you mentioned before, I mean, she, I think she she does have a bit of a checklist for for women to go through and how to, yeah, um, to, to approach these, these, um, situations. I think it's difficult because, because of the, because of the trap that's set up, you know, part of the problem is that if, if you're too emotional, the courts will say, oh, well, look, she's crazy and whatnot. But if you're not emotional enough, she'll say, well, she actually doesn't care. So so there is this completely double standard. Mm-hmm. So it's difficult. For, there are lawyers out there that who are, who are doing incredible work who know how to work against these concepts, especially the concept of parental alienation, who, who work, you know, who've worked out how to counter the claims as well. But in, in a lot of cases, you you do need a sympathetic judge as well, unfortunately, and, and it comes down and, and a lot of these judges come in with preconceived ideas. And when that happens, there's not a lot you can do. Right. And I think, you know, one of the most important things that women can do, and it and it's and it's such a huge ask. It, I mean, I, I understand it's a huge ask. You are in the midst of trauma. You are working like hell to protect a traumatized child. And so it's a lot to say. And then you also have to educate yourself. and. Mm. Um, you know, Caitlin Jorgensen, I love on her Instagram, she has a lot and in her programs too, she has a lot of information about basically how we have to be uh, when we go to court and yeah. how it's, it is not fair at all, but you have to be unemotional. You have to be clear. You have to state your case in these particular ways to be able to be heard, right? And it's a lot to ask a woman who is emotional, who is terrified, who is fighting with every bone and instinct in her body to pr- to want to protect fiercely mama bear fiercely yeah. fucking protect her children to do it in a sort of clinical non-emotional right like it's a lot to ask and yet that's kind of what has to be done right yeah unfortunately that's what has to be done and you know it's it's deeply unfair that women have to present themselves in these sort of ways and, and well 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 um these kind of standards are not held you know held to men men can can you know walk in and and behave however they like and and they'll be treated with respect by the courts and and treated with as if their word is is kind of gospel um and if they the- cry they just love their children so much oh, yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> absolutely it's it's a horrible double standard um yeah so unfortunately this is this is the case but yeah, I, th- I think there are there are people out there now who are providing these 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 modes of operation, the way you go in and the way you do this, and and this this will these will be helpful um, to you, and hopefully hopefully that you you do have judges who are starting to educate themselves now. I, I don't know what the pickup rate for the states in in the United States is from Cadence Law. I suspect many states would have preconceived ideas themselves the legislatures have preconceived ideas and that they'll they'd rather just do away with the funding that they'd, they'd rather not have the funding than than implement these these initiatives and that's disappointing but hopefully in the states that do start to implement these initiatives that they that there's there's some change oh let's hope let's hope well i mean i think you know thanks to people like you you know, women listening to this podcast and really us educating 
um, more people, more and more people about this. I think, um, you know, we are making, we're making noise. We're finally being heard. Making making progress. I'm, I'm, I'm very confident that progress is being made. Grant, thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation. I appreciate it so much. It's you, you are a wealth of information. Your article, um, on your Substack, which everyone needs to, uh, read, um, I will link to it in the, in the show notes. But where can people find you if they want to follow your, your work and? So yeah, you can find me on Substack, which is, internationalblue.substack.com where I I write a weekly newsletter which provides a just kind of a, a summary of of things that I'm doing during the week and a whole series of articles that I've read during the week and also provide a little playlist of of a theme during the week. Oh, um and then there are occasional essays that appear on the Substack as well. Um, beyond that, you can find me at The Diplomat, where I, I, I write on Australia and the Pacific Islands. Um, and yeah, you can occasionally find me, you can find me at Twitter at Grant Wyeth, um, just all one word. I don't use Twitter very much at the moment. So I mean, it's- <laughs> Are you on are you on threads yet, Grant? <laughs> I've gone to threads, but I haven't been posting that much. But yeah, unfortunately, Twitter has has become a hell site. I mean, it probably a was shit show. <laughs> it was a hell site previously. Now it's now it's more of a shit show, I think. Um <sighs> thanks to thanks to Elon Musk and mm-hmm. his yeah, his own pathetic little narcissism. Um, <laughs> Oh yeah, that's the where you can find me if if you want to reach out. And yeah, anyone who wants to reach out and have a chat, um, yeah, feel free to find me. Thank you so much. I so appreciate your um, knowledge and research and wisdom on this subject. It's just incredibly important. Thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me on. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at The Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.